I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Shania Twain isn't really a country star anymore. Not even like a music star. She sort of ascended into that rare pop culture icon status. But at one point, she was just singing in smoky dive bars in the small town of Timmins, Ontario, trying to look after her siblings after the death of her parents. Shania doesn't talk about that time in her life very often, but she's here today to look back on the hard stuff that made her who she is. Shania Twain is coming up. Plus, it is probably both very easy and very hard to go through life as the grandson of Bob Marley. I mean, easy in that people find you interesting and you might have some innate talent in you, but hard in that people might find it hard to focus on your own music and not the legacy of your grandfather. King Croft is a Canadian musician who is, yes, the grandson of Bob, and he'll be here to tell you all about it and to play you his latest single. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. When Shania Twain released her album Come On Over back in 97, you get the feeling she didn't fully grasp how big it would become. But also, how how could you? I mean, that, that album, even if it did okay, would never have been expected to do as well as it did because it became the biggest selling album by a solo female artist ever. But when I remind you of the songs that are on that record, I think you'll get it. Just take a listen to this. That don't impress me much So you got the brains But have you got the touch Now don't get me wrong Yeah, I think you're all right But that won't keep me warm In the middle of the night Mmm, mmm Shania Twain and That Don't Impress Me Much So this month Shania puts out a 25th anniversary edition of Come On Over. She announces a Las Vegas residency named after the album. That's uh, happening in 2024. But in the meantime, Shania and I um, had a chat over Zoom not that long ago to talk about her three-decade-long career. It was uh, right after the release of the documentary that was made about her called Shania Twain, Not Just a Girl. And the documentary uh, focused a lot on those on those early days when she was a young singer in Timmins, Ontario, and, and her journey to Tennessee. So we talk a little bit about that, about some of the uh, hard early days she experienced. She actually opened up about it um, more in this conversation, maybe because this is a Canadian conversation, but she opened up more about it in, in this conversation than she kind of did in the doc. Um, so we were really grateful to her for that. Here she is in her own words, my conversation with Timmins, Ontario's own Shania Twain. Hi, Shania. How are you? <laughs> Hi. I love that my introduction was Timmins, Ontario's Shania Twain. That's awesome. <laughs> I thought you might enjoy that because that's that, that's some of my favorite moments of this documentaries is getting to see you on like Tommy Hunter and like Canadian TV back in the old days. I know. I I mean, that was to me, that was so giant, you know. It's it's wild. Um, um, how have you been doing? I mean, have you been paying attention to the level of attention this documentary is getting? It feels like everyone's talking about it. Everyone is, and it's it's surprising. I I wasn't expecting such an overwhelming you know response. When you look back at your time in Timmins when you were growing up, what what do you remember from that? Oh, I mean, I remember like you know 
Don's Pizza, and it's all, a lot of it's food related. <laughs> you know, honey dip donuts. You know, we had somebody that made honey dip donuts in town. They were just a rare one-off thing, and uh, that I we had, you know, in our childhood. But you know, lots of snow and playing in bars from a young age. I was playing in bars till I left Timmins and yeah, it's, um, it's a lifestyle there as well. Just snowmobiling everywhere. Yeah. At the time I could snowmobile to, to school. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like it's, it's, an, it's amazing to think back then, you know, and like, even just like, I love, I love in the parts of the documentary, where there was just so much more music around you. Like your, your parents were playing music in the car. There was a lot of music being played around the house at home. And I think from an early age, it's clear how much you loved, you, you connected with music, right? Absolutely. It was a real, I guess, almost like another, like a sixth sense for me. It, I was obsessed with music, with sound didn't even matter what genre i was obsessed with instruments and harmony and and music arrangements that's all i wanted to do is just play music whether it was the radio or or a cassette or a record um or a live thing or you know on television and then i started playing guitar at eight years old so then i became obsessed (laughs) with you know, accompanying myself. And then songwriting came from the age of 10 years old. And then that was opened up my world enormously as far as what the possibilities were. Yeah, music is, I I often say music is my life. It's been my life. But it's been, I think, more, you know, if I'm literally speaking, it's been my passion. Yeah. This is this was an artist who I know was really meaningful you, to you, not just as an influence to your music, but also as an influence in letting you know that a, a life in music professionally for you was possible. Can we just take a listen to this? My coat of many colors that my mama made for me Made only from rags, but I wore it so proudly Although we had no money I was rich as I could be in my coat of many colors my mama made for me. It's Coat of Many Colors by Dolly Parton. And I, I that's right. Like you you are from a small town, you're from Timmins, sort of an industrial town. Dolly's from a small kind of country town. She achieves this massive success. And you look at her example and you go, maybe I can do that too. And more literally than I even explained or, you know, in, in the documentary that anyone explained, but I'll explain to you now is my aunts and my grandmother would, you know, sew a lot of my stage outfits because, I mean, we couldn't afford to buy it. So like Dolly, you know, when she talks about her mother making this coat for her, I related so directly to that as a child and you know most of our winter clothes were secondhand um and we would get you know i i was i was a little embarrassed about it and i could tell the other kids would were judging me for that and so i felt like she was singing my story i thought well you know if she's she's just takes it so well she takes it with such grace and and I knew that she was writing from her heart. Dolly's a part, you know, Dolly's a person that writes from her heart. 
And then the unique voice that she had. I'm, I'm like, wow, I, no one sings like Dolly Parton. Uh, it's so unique and original. And then she was a guitar player, the singer-songwriter. So yeah, and, and, and her whole persona, she's this, she's her own world when it comes to fashion and, and, and aesthetics and presentation. So yeah, Dolly's, you know, every little girl's perfect example of what is possible when you come from nothing. Your, your mom really believes in you too. And, and she, she really wants you to make it in the music industry. And she really, she really wants, she really believes in you as a singer. And I, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this, the story you tell that, you know, in the nights after your dad would go to sleep, your mom would sneak you out into the bars and you would do gigs, you know, hoping that you would get home before your, your dad woke up. Right. Well, the thing is, is that my dad really only ever had enough gas in the car to get to work and back every day. It was always, always limit, 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 because we were always robbing Peter to pay Paul. We were either not paying the hydro bill um, so that we could pay the rent, uh, or we had to watch what we spent on food. Food was very often um, very minimal in our house. Um, or, you know, we'd go through these waves. It was very unreliable. And so to take the gas, to to take the car, you know, take your child in the car to a bar just to sing after midnight when she has school the next day for what my dad probably thought was no reason at all. Like, I mean, as if she's going to, who's going to discover her in Timmins, Ontario, in the local bar after midnight, right? Which there's, yeah, I mean, I can see his point. But my mother was really obsessed. She thought there was, there, there was no other way to expose me. I, she had to, felt she at least had to get me out in front of people and get me developing experience with a live audience and with my performing. And so she took that risk that um, maybe somebody would give us money at the bar would, would give us 20 bucks or, you know, 50 bucks. <laughs> sometimes they did. And sometimes <laughs> they didn't, you know? And so when, when they did it, the gas money was gone. And now, now we're in trouble. You know, we're, 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 we get home to a, a very angry bear. Yeah. Basically. And, and th- there's a, such a responsibility. I feel even then, like the, you talk about it in the documentary a little bit, like a responsibility to try and make it. Yeah. Because there was so much sacrifice in our house. Um, a lot of times, and I, I do see this with like young athletes or anyone that needs the support of a family in a community in order to, um, to develop. Everyone else has to sacrifice so much. And that was really the case in you know a lot of times with us we didn't have anything anyway but whatever we had was often sacrificed and it was all about you know me the little singer getting me exposure uh getting me to maybe get scouted or you know discovered seeing the hope in them and the sacrifice that everybody made made me feel it became a burden and I, I didn't love being on stage. I loved to sing and I loved writing songs, but I was petrified of being on stage and I, I had to do it. I had to do it because I couldn't let everybody down. 
you especially had to do it. You know, your parents uh, pass away. They, they die in this tragic accident. And you become the caregiver to your younger siblings. So, and I, and I hear that's a very, very good point. To be honest, when my parents died, I felt more responsible, you know, o- o- overriding my career now became my kids, the kids, the, the, my siblings, you know, the, who were still all teenagers and I had to be there for them. And I was going to, at that, that point I'm thinking, well, I mean, I guess music is, that's gone now. Yeah. Oh. That's something I'll do for fun. And I got to get a real job. <laughs> you know, It's like time to get a real job and get serious. But by this time, all of my other friends have been already in college for two years and I've got no other skills outside of being a musician, songwriter, performer. So Mary Bailey, yeah, uh, one of our Canadian artists as well, says to me, she's a good friend at this point by now. And she says, don't quit. There is a job, a singing job, performing job that I think might pay enough for you to be able to stay in the field and still take care of your family but you'll have to move. So I dragged the kids to Huntsville, Ontario after auditioning for the job and I get the job and it does pay well. It pays, I don't even remember what it paid, but it paid well enough that I could pay my, I could get a loan for a house and pay a mortgage and, and keep the kids with me and not have to separate them. When you, I mean, it's such a tremendous responsibility, but at the same time, this tremendous responsibility coupled with like pretty prodigious abilities, like your ability to sing, your ability to perform, your ability to write songs. I mean, these things, you're operating at such a a high level, yet living in Huntsville, you move to, you, you go down to Nashville for the first time. Is there any sense when you get there, because the, the Nashville, early Nashville part is in the documentary. Do you have any sense when you get there that like, hey, I'm, I'm as good as anybody here? <laughs> you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't seeing myself as a competitor in any way. What, but my confidence was more in my conviction to succeed. Uh, I was dedicated. There was no choice. There's no going back. What am I going back to? I've got no parents. Um, you know, no one in my family has money still. I'm I'm the only, I mean, I have to make the most of all of this. So more than anything, it's it was perseverance and uh, desperation. It wasn't just this, you know, competitive. I didn't have the luxury of thinking that way. Whether I was better or not, I had I I knew I was going to work harder than anybody if it, if that's what it took, and and also by the time I got to Nashville, I had already felt like I climbed so many bigger mountains. Yeah. In my life. Yeah. That, good point. Right. You had already been through a death of both of your parents. You had already been through poverty. Like you'd been through that, it. I'm like. This mountain is actually not as big as the ones I've already climbed. I can do this. So it wasn't I can do this because I'm so great. 
I can do this because this is actually not that terrifying. It's, I've been through worse. I've been through bigger challenges and I was ready for it. I was like, bring it on. Like, okay. The, I'm not, you're not, I'm not getting chased out of this town easily. That's beautiful. The, the first record comes out, does okay, but you don't have a lot of control over it. You can tell you're not delighted with it. You do the second record. It has gigantic hits on it like this one. Whose bed have your boots been under? Kidding me? I can't even believe that song exists. That's so good. Um, that's Who's Bad Have Your Boots Been Under from The Woman in Me. Shania Twain's first smash album was produced by Mutt Lang, who up until that point had produced no country music, but had produced massive hit records for the likes of ACDC, Def Leppard, and Brian Adams. The creative partnership I find really interesting here. So like, he just calls you. Like, I still can't get over that. He just called you to say like, hey, I know I made a bunch of ACDC records, but I've also loved country music. And I, I want like, what to, what a phone call to get. Well, we have to back up because I didn't know who he was at the time. So as I'm a huge music enthusiast, but I do not know my producers. And I knew all the music that he had produced and written but I was aware of the artists and musicians and all of that. So I didn't know who Mutt Lang was and I, uh, and he didn't tell me anything about himself. I guess maybe he thought I already knew, but he didn't say, Hey, uh, I decided to call you up. I'm Mutt Lang. And I, you know, I, I'm like the ACDC guy, you know, I, it wasn't that way at all. So it was really more, you know, um, I uh, love country music. Steel guitar is my favorite instrument. Um, do you, are you a songwriter, by the way? I'd love to, you know, talk about working together. I said, yes, definitely. I'm a songwriter. And I, so he said, well, you know, could you sing me something like right now? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I pick up my guitar and I just prop the, the phone up on the pillow and I, just sing some things. What and do you sing? Do you remember what you sing? I think I sang, one of the songs I sang for him was No One Needs to Know. Am I dreaming or stupid? I think I've been hit by um, Unreal. Probably sang some of Any Man of Mine. Any Man of Mine. Because those were songs that were um, in my arsenal as, you know, as I was trying to get a record deal. And and then um, and I remember very clearly that you played Who's Bed Every Boots Been Under. That was a hit. I was 30. That was my first hit. And I was 30. So I would even that makes me think, wow, I mean, I was kind of old to just be making it, you know, in, in, in any international market. So. But that was also a song that I'd written. I'd started, all of these were songs um, that I'd started writing in my cabin. I had a little 12 by 12 cabin. Uh, in Tennessee? In the bush. No, no, in outside of Timmins. It, you started writing like Who's Better Your Boots Been Under in Ontario? Exactly. So all of these songs, all three of those songs were songs that I was, 
writing for my new album that I never got to, to write, never got to, to put on my first album. So, so and any man of mine was written in Ontario. Yeah. Get out of here. Under any man of mine. Um, uh, no one needs to know. There's quite a few songs. And of course, when I got with Mutt, he starts, you know, we become co-writers. Now we're collaborating on these songs, but these are things that I would, would have, would have been singing to him on the phone at the time. Um, and so it's funny. Um, early Nashville just didn't hear the potential in the songs and Mud did. When you get a hit record, Shania, it's clear that things change pretty quickly. All of a sudden, not having any control starts to go away a little bit because you have success. I mean, it does take, um, you know, you can have a great artist, but it does take a great producer and uh, the director and that producer to see it, to go, wow, that's a great idea. That's, oh, wow, that's strong. Um, and and lead you in your strengths. You go on to make a record after that, which goes on to be the best-selling album ever by a female artist. Let's just take a listen to it. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. That is that don't impress me much from the album Come On Over. Sixteen tracks. 12 singles, wins more Grammys, and again becomes the best-selling album by a female artist ever. I got a question for you. Did you ever talk to Brad Pitt about that line? Did you ever hear from him? I've never met Brad Pitt. Right, you'd think he'd owe me a call by now, right? <laughs> like, how? just call the girl up and say, okay, whatever you got to say. This song drives me crazy. It haunts me, whatever. No, no, I've actually never met, met Brad Pitt. Um... And I don't even know really why I picked his name. I mean, the whole intention behind the song was to have some, uh, you know, a sense of humor about men that are obviously, you know, would be attractive in some way um, more than to just flick off. But um, I picked him, I guess, in that particular time because he was there was there was, um, you know, one of these um, magazines that posted uh um, not posted, you know, back then we didn't have that, but whatever, published photographs of him naked. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that is pretty impressive. What can I say? I, he's got to be in the song. <laughs> he's got to be in the song. Okay. <laughs> I love I love how I just heard, that is kind of impressive, I just got to say, from the person who wrote that don't impress me much. Exactly. Exactly. Part one of my conversation with Shania Twain. Uh, we teased a little bit of it at the beginning and, and a little bit there in the interview, but come on, let's just play the whole thing. Take a listen. I've known a few guys who thought they were pretty smart, but you've got being right down to an art. You think you're a genius, you drive me up the wall. You're a regular original, know it all. Okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. So you got the brains, but have you got the touch? That's hard to argue with that song. I'm, by the way, I'm looking forward to your emails arguing with that song. But it's hard to argue with what a, what a sort of all-encompassing jam that is. It's hard to find anyone who doesn't... If they don't love it, 
Try not loving it after like three or four drinks. Shania Twain and That Don't Impress Me Much. She just announced a 2024 residency in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's named after her 1997 album, Come On Over, which turns 25 this year. Coming up, um, you're going to hear more from Shania Twain. And the conversation takes a different turn. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about the medical diagnosis that changed her life and made her think, very realistically made her think, she may never sing again. That's coming up after this on Q. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. On Arts Educators Save the World, we talk with artists and their mentors to discuss the transformative work that happens in arts education. We began with Lin-Manuel Miranda and his elementary school music teacher and mine, Barbara Ames. The direct education we got from Barbara, it was life-changing. And since then, we've spoken with Cecily Strong, Josh Radner, Annalie Ashford, Robert Lopez, and so many others, each with their mentors. Join us again as we begin Season 2 of Arts Educators Save the World, available everywhere. Just such a gifted songwriter. Holy moly. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with that singer right there, Shania Twain. Shania, in part one of our conversation, was talking about growing up in Timmins, Ontario, singing in, in smoky bars to try to make enough money to take care of her younger siblings after both of her parents died in a tragic car accident. And then we talked about how she got her first big hit when she was 30 years old with uh, Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under. And then Shania keeps building on that success, releasing more albums, becoming one of the biggest, I mean, not just country music stars in the world, like biggest music stars in the world. But while she's touring her album up, and I don't know if you know this part of Shania's story, kind of the worst thing that can happen to a singer happens. Here's the rest of my conversation with Shania Twain. Up until this point, Shania, you have control over every single thing in your life from your time in Timmins until, and which has, that control has led to you becoming the biggest music star in the world. And then you're on the up tour and you lose control for the first time. I thought about it in that context when I was watching the documentary. You start to realize that, I mean, you should tell the story. You start to realize that your voice is not what it used to be. You're, you're, things are changing. You start to realize that there's something wrong, right? Yes. Now I'm starting to lose uh, projection, like power. It's just going. I can no longer scream and cheer at a hockey game. It just doesn't come out. Um, I can speak, but I'm speaking a little bit more like that up here in this range. And then that's the all the volume I can get. And I, I'm just... I don't, I'm perplexed. I don't know what's going on. I think it's fatigue. You know, I'm, I'm thinking everything. Uh, I'm going through every possibility. I see countless specialists, but yes, I'm losing control of something that is hard. It's like losing an arm or something. Losing something that is part of me. Um, I've already had experience, lots of experience um, of going through situations in my life that I wasn't in control 
of and learning to cope with that, whether it was the violence in our home, whether it was the the, the, the poverty, the lot, so many things. You know, I mean, what, what, well, what's a bigger uh, loss than of control than losing your parents in an accident? I mean, like there's no. Exactly. And yeah. I didn't even get that. So imagine. So yeah. you cannot, there are just things you, that are out of your control that you have to learn to come to terms with somehow if you're going to carry on. And so this was now one of those things again. And I cannot sustain my voice with any quality or control. You know, I can do patchwork studio stuff. I can, you know, it, it was just not fun anymore. It was miserable. So until I found, until uh, I saw a neurologist, mm. only then was it determined that the nerves to my vocal cords were damaged. But then the next question from him was, uh, here's a list of things that would cause this nerve damage. Can you check any of them off? And Lyme's disease is on that list. So he said, oh, well, if I would have known that sooner, you would have saved yourself a lot of suffering in not knowing what the cause of this was. Because it wasn't my vocal cords. My vocal cords were great. They're still great. So, okay, now uh, there's a, a diagnosis. And now there's what do we do about it? So I have open throat surgery. And they go through the larynx. Open up your larynx. And they insert what I call crutches. They're, they're little... Gore-Tex supports and that support uh, puts pressure on the muscles so that you're to compensate for the atrophy in the nerves. And that gave me my voice back. It's a miracle. I can't even believe it. I can't even believe that the technology exists. I'm so grateful. And I mean, it may not last forever. Um, the Gore-Tex will last forever. He told me <laughs> if I'm ever discovered in a thousand years from now. Um, It'll be there. It'll be there. The Gore-Tex <laughs> will be intact, apparently. Um, and so we'll just see. So far, the Gore-Tex and my larynx are working together without uh, the full support of my of the nerves to the vocal cords. I'm glad. I'm glad you're singing. I mean, we're going to play your single, and I'm going to talk to you about it in a second. And you sound great, but let me close off this way because the I'm struck by something you said when I asked you about going to Nashville, and I said were you intimidated and all this other stuff, and you said I had already climbed such high mountains between my parents dying, growing up in poverty, having to make it, that the mountains I had to climb in Nashville to become a pop star or a country star didn't seem so high, but the mountains don't stop, Shania. There's you know, losing your voice, there's going through a unbelievably public split with your husband and uh, co-writer Mutt Lang, which is covered in the press in an incredibly public way. There's coming back and, and making the the record that I first met you on in the big swinging with my eyes closed single and, you know, writing your own songs and taking control. There's going back on tour. There's singing with Lionel Richie. There's, there's you know, there's, 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 there's so many mountains you had to climb over and over and over and over again. When you look back at your life as you are able to do now through this documentary, 
Do you learn something about how you manage to keep climbing that maybe you didn't know before? Yes, absolutely. My determination has built over my life to not allow fear to stand in my way. So I think a lot of people think that my determination to succeed as a, as an artist is really what I'm, why I made it. But if you ask me personally, I really believe that it's been my determination to not be stopped by fear, by the climb, by the, the, the pain. It's that determination that really keeps me going. So it's very hard to throw me off. I, I have this fierce determination to keep moving forward and through or around or over, whatever it takes. And I just refuse to be held down for no good reason. And, you know, with this song, Not Just a Girl, Hold Me But Don't Hold Me Down. This is just a me lyric. It is exactly how I feel. It is so great to hear that from you. It's so great to hear the difference between a determination to succeed and the determination to not let fear stop you. I've never really heard that articulated before, but there's a big difference there. And that kind of explains a lot, you know? It really does. At the beginning, I never really understood that the music would be so inspiring to people's actual lives. I mean, I want to inspire. I, I have intentions to inspire when I when I write music or when I put colors together or whatever it is. You know, I want to make people dream too. Um, and and I'm such a daydreamer, and I and so much of what battles my fear is dreaming if I was if I was afraid you see I dream very clearly understanding I dream a lot of wild things that I know will probably never come true but that doesn't matter it's the dreaming itself that is so rich is, is that why the singles waking up dreaming yes that's why I wrote that because I really believe that I mean as much as you know dreaming is great and when you're in your sleep, but dreaming when you're awake is so important. And I know the lobby is saying, you know, don't let go of your dreams. You'll get there if you always hold on to your dreams. But I, I think some dreams just don't come true. I mean, and yeah. that's okay. It. What's more important is don't stop dreaming. It's the dreaming that keeps us alive. So I dream all the time. I dream all kinds of things that I know are never going to come true. But the daydreaming really motivates me. So I, I wrote this song, yes. <laughs> That's why I wrote the song. Shania, I learned a lot about you from watching the documentary and from getting the chance uh, to talk to you. But I'll tell you, the main one is you're, you're tough as nails. Uh, <laughs> you are, uh, boy. You are. You've been through it. And you mean so much to so many people, including to so many people here in, listening in Canada, um, especially to people listening in Canada, who, you know, you, you represent a, a lot to them in that same way Dolly Parton represented a lot to you. Um, thank you so much for making the time for us and congrats on everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you know I adore you? A million ways to show you. I do. 
Twain and Waking Up Dreamin'. Before that, you heard my conversation with Shania Twain. I just realized I, I told her she was tough as nails. Is that an expression used in outside of Newfoundland? Okay, it is good. Good to know. I'm always wondering about that stuff. Ever since I told someone to burp their horn, and it turns out people in mainland Canada don't say burp, they say beep. Anyway, you know what? I'm making this about me. Uh, Shania Twain just announced a 2024 residency in Las Vegas. It's named after her 1997 album, Come On Over, which turned 25 this year. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Now, I'm no Jerry D, but let's play a game. I'm going to play a song, and uh, you tell me if, how many musical genres or, like, styles you hear in it. Take a listen. So feel like the stars in the night sky won't align. Rude disappointments, no surprise. All these excuses won't suffice. Outer solutions around our confusion. I cut from the mix-up. I don't need no strangers to call my name. But all of a sudden, them want to link up. Everybody wants a front seat to fame. Tell them I never drip ice blood. So, uh, hip-hop, dance hall, funk, maybe some reggaeton, maybe some Afrobeats. It's so seamlessly put together there, it's kind of hard to hear where one genre ends and the other begins. The reason I, I'm talking about genres right here is because it's the first part of my conversation uh, with King Cruff, an MC based in Toronto, Ontario. If you heard a little bit of reggae in that music, you shouldn't be too surprised by that because King Cruff's real name is Solomon Marley Spence. His grandfather was Bob Marley. But as you can hear, he's cutting his own path in the music world. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It can't be easy to make... I mean, it, like I said before, in one part it is easy, but in some parts it's not easy going around making music with Bob Marley in your family lineage. So we talk a little bit about, about Bob and a little bit about the pressure he feels. But we started out by talking about mixing all those genres together into a genre of his own. Here's my conversation with King Cruff. Um, I kind of have a... I kind of call it a style like... It's just my own flavor. I kind of call it punky. Punky? Punky, yeah, man. Just the idea of like all these genres coming together that that just have the move and groove to it. You know what I mean? So I tried to make it my own flavor. Where did you get punky from? I got punky from originally I was like, what would I call my style? And then I came up with the name punk reggae. But then I was like, I feel like having the name reggae in it kind of even that gives too many ex too much expectations to it. It's too much for people to attach to. So I just came up with the idea of punky, and I just want that to be like the tagline for what we're doing here. So you, my understanding is, is that so you kind of grew up splitting your time between Kingston and in, in Jamaica and London in Ontario. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Can I say kind of different places? London, Ontario, and, and Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, vastly different, bro. There was definitely a little bit of culture shock when I came up here, but. <laughs> Both places that I call home for sure. Sorry. So hold on, back to so so what brought you what brought you to London in the first place? 
So I was actually born in London, right? My mom went there um, for university. She went there for her education. And the plan was just always to move back to Canada when I got to that stage of going to um, um, post-secondary. And just when I got there, man, it was just, it was, it, was, uh, it was a growing stage for me. It was a moment where I felt like I needed to start maturing from being a boy into an adult, you know what I mean? So that's why London became the, the next move. How is... Um making music and st- and and having a career in music um with with the family history that you have with the with the grandfather that you have how do you find that i find it to be it's a very very interesting experience man it's a it's an experience that, that only so few people have yeah so there's only so few people that i can talk to that can relate about it but in my own experience and in my personal one it's just been it's made me think a lot about the type of artist that I want to be, the type of story that I want to tell, how I want to present myself. Most importantly, it's it's made me think about how I want to blaze my own path for King Cruff. You know what I mean? I want to, I want people to remember me for being my own artist and the storyteller that I am more so than anything. And that's a challenge in itself, but it's a challenge that has been extremely fun to undertake. I talked to, I guess, I guess I talked to your uncle. I talked to Ziggy one time. And I asked him, hey. yeah, yeah. And I asked him one time, I said, like, you know, I asked him kind of a similar question. Like, what's, what, what is it like making music with this sort of, this icon as your, as your father? Because I said, he's not even really an icon anymore. Like, he, you know, he, he's a poster, he's a t-shirt, he's a whole thing. And he said, people forget that he was a real person. And people talk to me about him like he was this, like, mythical god. And, I went, and they, they argue with me that he was a vegetarian, like all this other kind of stuff. I don't want to harp on him too much, but like, what was your, what was your, how was he talked about when you were growing up and all that? Pretty much more in the same, not to give like uh, a couple answer, but it really is, doesn't even matter if when I was a kid, man, people still talk to me like Bob was this, this monolith, Bob was this, this celestial being to me, like, as like they talk to him, like talk about him, like he was a lifestyle, like to be studied. And I understand why, because Bob's legacy was was incredible, bro. It's great. Like, if you know the story from front to back, you'd be like, no way this happened to someone that that came on this earth the same way that I did and left the earth the same way everybody else does. No way. This person's special. So it's it's it was really interesting growing up, hearing about this person that I never saw, but his message was so clear because it touched so many people. You could still listen to it anytime you turn on the radio. You know what I mean? It was, it's such an interesting topic to dissect and an interesting thing to be related to. That is very, very interesting. Right. Yeah. That, that you didn't know the guy. He died in, I think, 81. And you, you strike me as yeah. someone who was probably yeah. born in the like, early 2000s or something like that. I was born in 1997. Don't take away my 90s baby card from uh, me. <laughs> I, won't, I, won't. I worked hard for this. But I understand this guy who, like, I didn't know my, my father's father. Um, so he, he is sort of like a, an idea to me. But even more so for you, because not only did you not know him, but people talk about him as this sort of, as you mentioned, celestial being, this sort of like greater than. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a very interesting experience, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the best that I can do is just contribute what I can to the name and Tough Gang and whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can be responsible. And create your own thing, which is what you're doing, like what we're talking about with this music. Don't don't fall into any sort of patterns that are set for you, like create, that seems to be important to you. Yeah, man. Thank. Good looking out, Tom. I appreciate it. Right, listen, that. I got you. Listen, I'll, I'll take 10%. Uh, you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, 
<laughs> get, get Thompson Publishing, you know what I mean? <laughs> you got it. I got you, buddy. So you're going to, we're, we're going to play Souffle. Can you tell me a little bit about this song? Souffle, very, very interesting, very important track to me. You played Samurai Trap before. Samurai Trap was the follow-up to Souffle. When I made it, it was honestly my first dive into becoming more melodic because if you listen to my earlier stuff, it's very bars heavy, very lyrics heavy. Um, Souffle was just like an experiment to me and I feel like it opened up uh, like just a door to my to my artistry, man. It showed me that I could be more than just a rapper. I can be an artist. And um, it's it's a very, it's, you know, it's, it's a quaint love story. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it has that, it has that, that longing that some love stories are missing these days or, you know, you see someone and it's very simple. You just want to dance with them and you just want to get to know them. And it has such, just like Samurai Chop, a crazy mix of genres. So yeah, man, it's, it's it holds a special place in my heart for sure. Is it a true love story? Ha! ha. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't the people like to know? Yeah, it's a true love story for sure. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Has the person who it's about heard it and all that? <laughs> they have. They, I don't know if they know it's about them. I didn't tell them. But from what I heard, they love the song. Wow. Wow. Mysterious. I'm, I'm into it. Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Can you do me a favor? Can you, uh, can you say who you are and introduce the song and then we'll play it? This is King Croft and you're listening to Souffle. Baby girl living in my lap, now my name was three stacks, taught her something about the love below. Tell the truth, I was just bought to cup, but she said she ever need so I'm never gonna leave my post. Never tell a lady how to dress, bought her all the skirt tight, gotta have for me to keep composed. Take nice when we dim down the lights fully. I hear time, come on, wine, I'm released. Show the dance for a minute, make the city jealous when you show them how you're living. Topic of discussion, favorite thing to put up in it. Post up like a double six and that's nobody's business. Anyway, you got them off, I tell you that you legit. And anywhere my other mother know me Maybe we can take it slowly I can be a better version when you're lonely Should it come and dance for a minute Stay out, don't sleep Go off, don't tease Dance for a minute Stay out, don't sleep Go off, don't tease Something sweet for dessert Souffle Should it come and dance for a minute Vibe not the same when you miss it she give me all the ratings When I call, she don't keep me waiting Voice so sweet when we conversating She ride it, she ride it Pray that this never changes I can't trust these roads as of lately Pray that this one stays as my baby My baby Feeling when she moving with intelligence I love my friendship when it makes a little benefit I love her son just and I love the fact of benefit Empress, I feel comfortable when she's settling This will never cease and assist I'm a man, I'm a weird and I never switch From a fire, the shot, it will never miss From I get the bag, I have to get another quick Show the dance for a minute Make the city jealous when you show them how you're living Topic of discussion, favorite thing to put up in it Post up like a double six and that's nobody's business Anywhere you got them off, I tell you that you're legit And anywhere my got them off, I know me Maybe we can take it slowly I can be a better version when you're lonely Should it come and dance for a minute Stay up, don't sleep Go off, don't tease Dance for a minute Stay up, don't sleep Show they come and dance for a minute. Vibe not the same when you miss it. That is King Cruff and a song called Souffle. You know, maybe if you're feeling a bit of a lonely heart yourself, you can pretend that song's about you. Before that, my conversation with King Cruff, aka Solomon Marley Spence. And that is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, what have I told you that the most exciting punk band of the last 10 years 
We, up until recently, had no idea who they were. What I mean by that isn't that we didn't know who was the most exciting punk band. It meant that we knew about this band called The Armed that were getting so much attention and, and playing gigantic shows. But we didn't know who any of the members were because they were kind of lying to us about who they were. The Armed have come clean about who they actually are. And in a very rare interview, one of the members of the band will be here to tell you why they decided to come clean and why they decided to uh, obfuscate in the first place. All right. If you're not already subscribed to our podcast, please do that. Q with Tom Power, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on Instagram at Tom Joe Power. I think my stories are better than my posts. All right. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.